2012 CDC study said that 69% of Americans 20 and older are overweight. So with great confidence, I say that many of you in this room have looked at a plate of diet food like this woman here. The sermon topic asked for was gluttony. Uh, I ask, if you're visiting with us, I ask every year, what do you want to hear uh, from the pulpit? And, and this was one from uh, one of you, uh, gluttony. And I know some of you have never had a problem with being fat, and you may look at this sermon like this woman is looking at this food, but that does not mean you've never been gluttonous. Uh, for sure you've had a friend who has this problem. Uh, they have a problem with gluttony. And so with the information in this sermon, I, I hope that you'll be able to at least help them, and I hope this is going to be a helpful sermon to each and every one of you here. This is really a sensitive topic. <laughs> it's a very sensitive topic. Uh, gluttony gets less pulpit time than adultery and drinking and gambling. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on, on gluttony before. I, I don't think I have. Uh, I don't know about you. It's a really sensitive topic. And I've tried to keep my opinions out of this, and I'll explain how I did that in a minute. I've really tried to keep my opinions out of this sermon, but here's one. A lot of gluttony is born out of boredom. Let's keep that in mind as we're talking about gluttony. Gluttony is born out of boredom. You might have a problem with a relationship. You might have a problem with, with your friends. You might have a problem at work. But food is always there, isn't it? Food is always there. Uh, it's said that nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, but I know chocolate does. <laughs> I know chocolate does. Chocolate is the answer. Who cares about the question, right? Chocolate doesn't ask silly questions. Chocolate understands, doesn't it? To keep my opinion, and that's my opinion. Keep my opinion out of the mix, all right? I've, I've tried to get very structured with this sermon. It took a lot to get structured with this sermon. We'll understand tonight, we're going to understand the terminology, what gluttony means, then we'll go straight into the text. We're going to look at what the Bible says about gluttony, the biblical text that speak about gluttony. With the text in mind, we'll discuss uh, truthiness. There's a truthiness uh, that uh, surrounds gluttony. And we'll, we'll focus then on the topic of gluttony. And here's a spoiler. Uh, we're going to take responsibility. How can we biblically take responsibility for gluttony? By telling you this last point, go ahead and correctly assume that I believe gluttony is a problem in the United States. And it's a problem here at Fountainhead. Gluttony is a problem. Gluttony is a sin. And sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Sin enslaves us, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, and brings spiritual death, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. When we think of, when we think of, of in, in the terminology as we've been talking about this, when we think of gluttony, I think of Augustus Gloop. That's who I think of. Augustus Gloop. You remember from Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and he's just cramming all this stuff in, into his mouth and then he crams that and he sees something else and he runs and he, he grabs that. That's kind of what I think of as, as 
as gluttony. Uh, but I, I want us to understand that as cute and as many jokes as we can make out about it, it, it is a sin. It is a sin. And gluttony, I want you to understand this from the start as well. Gluttony is not just overeating. Is he being gluttonous? Yes, he is. But it's not just overeating. And I want to show you that from the Scriptures here in just a minute. I came uh, up on this, um, upon this uh, sermon uh, title because of this website that I found. As I was doing research uh, last week for this sermon, I came upon this. Well, it's not a website. It's a Facebook page. And it's Christians Against Obesity. Uh, this is an actual Facebook page. You can go on and like it and be friends with them. Christians Against Obesity. God Hates the Sin of Gluttony. Burn Calories Today. If you can't read that, it says, Burn Calories Today or Burn in Hell Forever. Here's, I put on the front of your handout, some of you got handouts, some of you didn't. I put on the front of your handout some of the memes or some of the posters that they have on, on this page. Heaven is a fat-free zone, and they quote or cite Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. If you love Jesus, don't feed the fatties. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 28. Uh, Jesus hates fatties. Proverbs 23, verse 20. Be not among the drunkards or among the gluttonous eaters of meat. If you're slim, thin, and saved, type amen. And that's what we can get from some people out there in this world. Are they right? Does God hate fat people? If you're fat, does God hate you? Will you not go to heaven because... You can't fit in the seats. God cannot have any, God cannot have sin in His presence. And this question: Does God hate fat people? I want to tell you this: God hates the sin of gluttony. I'll say that. God hates the sin of gluttony. Uh, some of these posters, you know, are they true? Does God hate fat people? Well, what is gluttony? Let's get into uh, some of the uh, terminology of gluttony. Um, according to Webster, gluttony is excess in eating or drinking or greedy, excessive indulgence in anything. Okay, that's Webster. The International Bible Encyclopedia says it also includes to be lavish or a squanderer. Be lavish or squanderer. When the word is defined uh, using its context, as we'll see in the scriptures, and when we read those, we'll see overindulgence is just a, a symptom of the larger problems of laziness, idleness, and having a sense of entitlement, uh, a sense of, of, of living a life that's unrestrained, living a life with loose morals. Those are also part of gluttony as well. All of these are included in the Old Testament and New Testament in the word gluttony. So it's not just overeating. It's living a riotous life. It's living a lazy life. It's living an unrestrained life, a life with loose morals. Gluttony is the overconsumption of anything to the point of waste. Let me say that again. Gluttony is the overconsumption of anything... To the point of waste. The Catholic Church since Pope Gregory in 590 
A.D. They formalized the seven deadly sins. Some of you may have heard of the seven deadly sins. Uh, gluttony is one of those terrible sins against God according to the Catholic Church. But we must understand that the seven deadly sins are not a Bible list. Okay, You can't find the seven deadly sins in the Bible as a list. It's not a list, but it's a man-made list, but it's formed from... Uh, Bible principles. Thomas Aquinas, this is a, a picture of him. Thomas Aquinas, uh, he was a Catholic historian, a Catholic writer, a Catholic priest. Around 1250 A.D., he expanded on these seven deadly sins, and he compiled different lists breaking off of these deadly seven, uh, seven deadly sins. And he, he, he compiled six ways to commit gluttony. Here's the six ways that he says that a Christian can commit gluttony. Eating too soon... Okay. Number two, eating too expensively. Number three, eating too much, because we figured that one kind of, that would be gluttonous to eat too much. To eat too eagerly. That's kind of like Augustus Gloop, and he just crammed it in his mouth, right? Uh, eat too daintily is to him a form of, of gluttony. And to eat too wildly. I, I think of King Henry VIII with, with a big old turkey leg and it's eating grabbing stuff off, you know, people are just grabbing stuff off the table, you know what I mean? I kind of think of it that way, eating too wildly. Around 1310, the Italian poet Dante, he wrote, Don, uh, he wrote the Divine Comedy where he portrays uh, the levels of hell. And Dante's uh, third circle of hell is for the gluttonous. It's a landscape he describes of living organs that's the landscape. That's what you're walking on. There are storms and there's mud made out of human waste and there's giant gorger worms and the gluttonous are forced to slosh around forever in this. Alright? But again, this is not Bible. But I bring these up in defining our terminology because I've heard many in the church today unknowingly ascribe a Catholic mythology when speaking about biblical terms like gluttony. Okay, so we must be very careful that we don't bring some mythology from some religion into what the Bible says about gluttony. Alright? Be very careful about that. Gluttony is a craving that conquers us here and now, and it's not a problem that we can take care of when we die. Okay? And that's what uh, the seven circles of hell are all, or the nine circles of hell are all about. You could get prayed out of gluttony. Okay, and go to heaven uh, is, is what Dante is saying here. I compared uh, five different Bible translations as we start looking at the text. And I found a form of the word gluttony only five times in the Bible. So of all the words in the Bible, the word gluttony in its various forms, glutton, gluttony, gluttonous, is only found five times in various translations. There's no list like, like Proverbs, I have this in your handout, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, things that God hates. Gluttony is not part of, of that list. Gluttony is not part of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. You know, there's a list of sins there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Gluttony is not one of them. Okay. Uh, also, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, there's the, the works of the flesh. And gluttony is not in, even in one of the works of the flesh. Alright? There is no passage in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not be a glutton. Alright? 
But there are sins listed in these lists, and we'll get to them in a little bit. There are sins listed in these lists which God hates. And there are fruits of the Spirit that we're supposed to conform to where we wouldn't be gluttonous if we conform to these fruits of the Spirit. All right? When we look at the Scriptures and their contexts, we can understand the term gluttony even more. And we'll see that, like that website that I showed you or that Facebook page that I showed you, they're using those Scriptures out of context. Okay? They're not using them correctly when they make the, the, the posters that I have on the front of your handout. Okay? They're not using them correctly. If you remember in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they complained and complained. And one complaint was that they had no meat. You remember God had, had manna from heaven fall for them. And all they had to do was go out and put it in a basket. That's all they had to do. But they didn't want that. They wanted something more. We want some meat. We want some meat. Well, look at Numbers 11. I have it in your handout. Numbers 11, verse 18. It says, Then you shall, he's telling Moses this, Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it is well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nose, God says. I'm going to make you eat meat till it comes out your nose. till it comes out your nostrils and becomes, a, becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before Him saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And while the meat was in their mouth, the Bible says, and between their teeth, God caused a plague on these people. Who, and many who ate uh, died because of this plague. Look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 34. So he called the name of the place Kibroth Havatava because they buried the people who had, notice, yielded to craving. That's gluttony. Yielding to that craving. Yielding to that craving. That's part of gluttony's definition. In the law of Moses, if as a parent you had a rebellious son... You would take him to the elders of the city. Notice Deuteronomy 21 verse 20. And shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And verse 21, they'd stone him to death for you. That's how gluttony, gluttony was taken care of in the Old Testament. Proverbs warns that if you sit down with somebody great, with a king, uh, Proverbs 23 verse, tw- uh, 23, verse 1 uh, and he's provided this sumptuous meal for you, consider carefully what's before you. Consider this meal before you start eating and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Because this king is looking at you. and He's judging you by what you do. You see, that's the context that this is. Reading the rest of the context, this sumptuous meal is really a trick. He's really trying to trick you with all this sumptuous food. So if you're a guy that likes to eat, don't just start grabbing it. If you go in front of somebody that's your boss, let's say, let's go to you, say you go to the office party. Have you ever heard of the office uh, party drunk, you know, and how they have too much? Well, that's what the Proverbs teacher is talking about there. You can't be that guy, okay? Uh, because you'll be looked down upon and you'll, you'll make uh, God out to be uh, 
foolish as well in the eyes of others. In the days of Solomon, they had a sweet tooth uh, just like we did. And so uh, the admonition, look at Proverbs 25, verse 16. Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Uh, the main part here is eat only what you need. Any more than that is gluttony. Okay? Any more than what you need is gluttony. Don't be envious of sinners, says the writer of Proverbs 23, verse 21. Don't be envious of sinners, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Overindulgence is the worry for this writer, and it's the warning that he gives us today as well. Overindulgence. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah condemned Judah and wept for Jerusalem because of their turning away from God. The greedy are condemned who've gotten rich. They had gotten rich off the sins of others, okay, who had trapped them in sin. All right? Uh, you might think of a, a pimp, okay, or a drug dealer who gets rich off everybody coming to him because they want what he has. You see, and he gets rich off of that. And this is what Jeremiah is talking about. People who've gotten greedy. And in Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 28, he says, They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. And the right of the needy they do not defend. It wasn't the fact that they were fat or they were sleek. That was just part of it. They didn't help the needy. They didn't help the poor. And they took advantage of people. And that's what's being talked about there. And that's the context there. But that was one of the, the posters that's on this, on, this, on this Facebook page. God doesn't condemn these because they're fat, but how they got fat and sleek when they treated uh, the others, the, the poor, they treated them horribly. Uh, turn over, or if you have your handout, look at Ezekiel 16. I want you to understand, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were terrible people, did terrible sins. Uh, you know, we have a word in our dictionary, sodomy, that comes from this, the destruction of this town and the acts that they committed in this town. But sodomy and homosexuality was not the reason they were destroyed. Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 49 and 50 tell us why they were destroyed. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw fit. They did not, they would not help the poor even though they had an abundance. So we see as we get into the Bible and how the Bible uses the word and the idea of gluttony, gluttony is more than just overeating. Alright? Gluttony is more than just overeating. We don't see the word gluttony again in the Bible till we get to the time of Jesus. And then we only see it twice. We only see it twice, and in both times it's used in the same instance in the parallel Gospels of, of Matthew and, and Luke. Jesus was accused of being a glutton. Uh, Jesus was speaking to the multitudes who thronged around Him. He reminded them that John came, and he didn't eat or drink, and they called him a demon. They said he had a demon. But Matthew eleven nineteen, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
But wisdom is justified by her children. I'll read Luke chapter 7, verse 34. It says it a little differently. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Those who claimed that Jesus was a glutton, they judged Jesus by the company that he kept, not with righteous judgment. Not with righteous judgment. Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors. Jesus was hanging out with sinners. Jesus was hanging out with harlots. Jesus was hanging out with the gluttonous and the wine-bibbers. He was. He was. But He wasn't gluttonous. He wasn't a wine-bibber. But this verse still doesn't prove that God hates fat people. Okay? Uh, Living in this world, we've had to wade through a lot of truthiness. We've waded through a lot of truthiness in our world that we live in. Um, things that sound true but are really not. Alright? The Bible does not have a height, a height weight ratio chart. Okay? There's not a height weight ratio chart in the Bible. You know, where you look down and you find how tall you are on, on the side, and you look down and find at the top where your weight is, and then that tells you whether you're underweight, you're normal, you're overweight, or you're obese. Alright? There's not one of these in the Bible. So who's to say you're fat and you're not? Look at this guy. Look at that guy. You know who that is? Me. My wedding day. 13 years ago. I was 5'11". I'm 5'11", still 5'11". 190. Overweight. According to the height weight chart. (laughs) I was... Tough, too, boy. I was tough. So we can't go with what the world says. Okay? We can't pigeon ourselves, pigeonhole ourselves into what the world says and say, well, the world says I'm overweight or I'm obese, so I must be obese or I must be overweight. There's a lot of other factors uh, that, that, that come into play there. We must remember we can't apply the world standards to Christianity. Skinny people can be a, be a gutton too. I've seen some of you skinny people, and I've seen you eat. Y'all can be gluttons. Y'all can be gluttons. Those with the right metabolism can be a glutton sometimes just because they can. They think it's never going to catch up to them. think it's never going to catch up to them. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why a person might weigh too much or too little. That's not because of gluttony. And we could sit down and we could have a long conversation about this. And the majority of the talk that we would talk would be speculation. Uh, in my opinion, how much you weigh has as much to do with genes than anything else. Um, but that's my opinion, and that doesn't belong here. Okay? That doesn't belong here. I, I believe the question, does God hate fatties, has been answered, though. Does God hate fat people? I believe it's been answered. He does not. But does God hate gluttony? Yes, He does. It's a sin. It's a sin. You bet He does, and that's where we've got to stay. We've got to stay... We've got to stay on topic. We've got to stay on focus. We've got to stay focused and on topic because we could get way out in left field here if we just allowed ourselves. We're not to let our appetites control us. We are to have control over our appetites. Um, If you overeat and veg in front of the TV, or you overeat and then throw it all up so you can still be skinny, or you smoke and dip instead of eat or drink, or you take drugs instead of eat, 
or I dare say exercise instead of eat. What have you become? What have you become? When our bodies become the main focus, when our bodies become the main focus, they become an idol. They become an idol. I'm not saying our bodies should not be a focus. That would be unbiblical. That's not biblical to say our bodies should not be a focus. But I am saying when our bodies become the main focus, we become idolaters. We should strive to be more godly than fit. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Exercise, it does profit a little. I'm not here to uh, say down exercise. Please don't leave saying, Chad said don't exercise. Exercise will enhance the use of our instrument, our, our, our body, our instrument of righteousness, as, as Paul calls it, uh, our bodies. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says it even better. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Right? And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We should be more focused on being right with God than anything else. Anything else. Exercise can extend our service to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not, you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So if we overeat, if we damage our body by overeating, if we damage our body by dipping snuff, if we damage our body by smoking cigarettes, if we damage our body by... Drinking a fifth of liquor? Look, when, when, when in the Old Testament, the temple was holy. The temple was precious. It was in the temple that the sacrifices were made. It was where God lived. God lived in the temple. And what the writer, what Paul is saying here in Corinthians, we're, our bodies are the temple. We're supposed to be holy. Just like that temple of old that was back in Jerusalem that's been destroyed. We don't worship at that temple now. We worship in spirit and in truth. And this is the temple where we worship. Because when we come here, we worship with ourselves, don't we? But our strength, it will eventually fail. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. If you're the fittest and can run the Ironmans, all the Ironmans and all that, if you're really, really fit, your body is still wearing down. If you're as big as a house, your body is wearing down. And the body is perishing. And the body is going to go away. And every one of us, unless Jesus Christ comes back again uh, while we're here, we're going to die. And our body's going to go away. But what is eternal is what we've got to worry about. That's what we've got to put the focus on, is what's eternal. Again, uh, the, the, reason, uh, the reason that Sodom was destroyed was not homosexuality, but it was hedonism and self-love that had gone way too far. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 
Don't do it like a heathen. Don't do it for your own self. Don't do it. If you're going to run in a marathon, do it for the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. If you're going to sit down and eat a nice meal with your family, do it to God's glory. That will keep our minds in check. And it keep us from having to go through a, a, lot of, a lot of pain and sorrow from gluttony. Again, the reason uh, Solomon was destroyed was it wasn't because of homosexuality. It's because of their neglect. Paul wrote to the Philippians of the enemies of the cross. Uh, look at this, Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. The enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Who are these enemies of the cross? Well, we know there are many, for many walk uh, not in the way that they're supposed to walk, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. But we know that their end, the, the enemies of the cross, their end, uh, Paul says in Philippians 3.19, their end is destruction. We know who their God is. Uh, their God is set on satisfying Fleshly appetites. That's what he means by their God is their belly. Uh, we know their glory. It's in their shame. They take pride in things that are actually shameful. That's who the enemies of the cross are. Cross are. We know their minds. Their minds are on earthly things. So we must make sure we're not enemies of the cross, according to, to Paul's definition there, and have our mind on earthly things. They should be on, on spiritual things. Gluttony equals idolatry. Idolatry equals greed. Greed equals selfishness. Selfishness equals sin. And sin is missing the mark. We've missed the godly enjoyment of the thing and have, have put it in front of God. You know, we can go and we can enjoy something or we can misuse it, can't we? James chapter 1, verse 14 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Your desire may not be my desire. You may not like chocolate. You may not like chocolate in the least bit. But you have something. You have something that would trip you up, trap you, hurt you. And you know what it is. We each, each one of us knows what it is. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Uh, it's time to take responsibility for our actions. That's what I want to do now. I want to look at taking responsibility for our actions. Because I do believe that we have a problem with, with gluttony uh, in our lives. Uh, arguments used against other forms of gluttony, such as tobacco use and, and drinking, they... Apply to overeating as well. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1. It was read this morning. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The sacrifices in the Old Testament, they had to be without spot. They had to be without blemish. So should our bodies. So, so should our minds. So should our hearts. And we cannot be living uh, a living sacrifice with a fifth of whiskey, a dip of Copenhagen, uh, a Marlboro Light, or a whole pan of brownies and chocolate chip uh, cookie dough ice cream. Um, the only thing good in that list are the brownies and the chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, unless you eat the whole pan and the whole quart. All right? First um, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. This is a wonderful verse for all of us who have, a, have trouble with gluttony. All right? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. There's nothing in the Bible that says, you shall not eat brownies. 
but brownies may not be helpful for me. And so I may need to leave brownies alone. Um, all things are lawful for me. But notice, I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This applies to everything, not just food. Near the end of Romans, Paul, in a plea for unity, he speaks to the spiritually strong and the spiritually weak in Rome. Uh, He's trying to keep the strong from running over the weak, is what he's trying to do, and, and hurting the weak's chances for going to heaven. Paul writes, Romans chapter 14, verse 20, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything. Okay? Whether, if you're thinking here that he's just talking about meat or he's just talking about wine, no, sir. He's talking about anything. It's, neither, it's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. If you think it's a sin and you go ahead and do it, it's a sin. Whether it's right in God's eyes or not. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith, that's sin. Now I'm not saying additions are sinful. Okay? We've had plenty of what we call fellowship meals, added-ish meals. I'm not saying they're sinful, but I've seen some plates in my life, <laughs> and I've filled quite a few myself, that were nothing short of gluttonous. <laughs> I've seen them downstairs here, too. I mean, that plate's about to break. It's got so much food on it. Maybe it's time for a paradigm change. You know? Maybe it's time for a paradigm change. Um, I sat down as I was researching for this, and I I tried to rack my brain. You may come up with some more. I I don't know. I came up with these. These are alternatives to the fellowship meal. These are alternatives to the additive. All right? Uh, A catered meal. Have it catered. And have it served so that we aren't the ones that are filling up the plate. Somebody else is filling up the plate. And they're doling out the spoonful, you know. Like I used to work for uh, I used to work for Pizza Hut back when I was in high school, and we had different measuring cups. And and to keep us from building big, huge mounds of pizza, they gave us measuring cups. They said you get this. They get this much cheese if they get a supreme pizza. Okay. So so maybe maybe it's something like that. Maybe a soup meal. Hey, maybe this. How about a brown bag work meal? And we find people that we need help and we go out and we fellowship and have a meal with each other while we're working for somebody else. How about that? That, that would be a good thing to do as well. Uh, here, here's the Main Street Church in Dallas, Texas. All right, They have an average attendance of 225 people uh, on Sunday uh, every week. They serve 2,850 meals a week. Let me let that sink in just a minute. 
2,850 meals per week every day. The, the poor are being fed and the focus is to God's glory. Now here's how it breaks down. Here's how it breaks down. Uh, on Sunday, look at all the meals they serve. I know you can't see that, uh, but uh, on, uh, on uh, let's see, 250 are served breakfast. Uh, there's 150 to-go plates for the sick and shut-ins. Now, granted, Dallas is a much bigger city than, than Portland is. I, I got that. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, but uh, and they're, they're right in the middle of downtown Dallas here, all right? So they have homeless street people that walk up and get a plate. They say that says they serve 100 on Sunday uh, uh, to homeless street people out the kitchen window, all right? But here's what they do. I just want to focus on Sunday just a minute. Uh, Look at all they do. And then that 12.30 after services, they served 225 last year every day, every Sunday. Not just the, the, not just the members. Not just the members. This is a sound congregation, y'all. It's a sound congregation. This is not some off-the-wall congregation. This is a congregation like, like Fountain Hill or like Portland. Sound congregations. And they're doing this. And the focus isn't just on their fellowship. The focus is on other people. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to change the paradigm of how we, how we look at things. Uh, but most of us, we, we look at it like this. Uh, to the Corinthians, Paul uses the analogy of a racer or, or a boxer. The racer or the boxer, they, they want to win the prize. They're not up there just to get beat up. They're not up there just to get winded. They're up there to win. Boy, they want to win. And it's like a Christian who wants that incorruptible prize. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. If we give ourselves to being satisfied with the spiritual, uh, the physical will lose its power. Um, Lord willing, in January, uh, a lot of you have asked me this question. You know, uh, I'm going to have the surgery that the mayor's had and, uh, and Kim Rowe has had. Um, I've been through the program at Vanderbilt and I uh, was hoping that I would have it by now. But all the doctors have signed off and the insurance has signed off. And now it's uh, gone to Aetna and Aetna is doing what it's doing. And, but even if they approved it this month, uh, the doctor is booked up through the rest of the year. So it's going to be at least January, the, the coordinator said, before I would have this surgery. Uh, but I'm going to have this surgery on my stomach to help me with weight loss. It's not so I can be this guy in the picture again. I'll never be that guy. That took too much work. <laughs> it was a lot of work to be that guy. Um, it's because I want to be pleasing to God. And there have been times in my life where I have not been. Jesus taught. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's far better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall be never quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire 
that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. If the computer is causing you to sin, throw it away. If dip makes a circle in your jeans, toss the can. With food, which is always around us, more drastic measures are needed in my life so that I'm not disqualified. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to run this race all this time and preach to others and then at the end not get the prize. But until that time, I fight every day to be pleasing to God. Please, when you leave here tonight, I do want you to do this if you don't mind. And this is, this is from my heart. Do not look at me and say, or look at somebody else who's bigger and say, well, he's just not trying. Please don't do that. Here are some things I'm trying. These are worldly tips. Don't overeat if you're depressed. The last couple of years, I've been pretty depressed. I have. Don't eat alone. If you eat alone, you're more likely to overeat. I found that to be true in my life. Try to find somebody to eat with. Never eat watching TV. That's kind of a given. Avoid fast food. That's kind of a given. I have a problem with eating at night, late at night. So I've been going to bed about 8, 8.30. So then it's not a problem anymore. I get up about 4 or 5. The less you eat, the less you need to stay full. But the main, way, the main way to fight any craving is to experience higher cravings. All right? Get busy in the work of the Lord and have those cravings master us. We should taste. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. We should be about tasting, but tasting what the Lord wants us to do. We should desire, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word. That's what we should desire. When we're desiring something else in our life, something that we may trip over and sin very badly because of, let's desire God's Word instead. Bread, it's got lots of carbs in it, but this bread we can eat, it's, it's zero carbs. The bread of life, John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And we can drink whatever we want to if we're drinking, like Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. And that's God's Word. That's what God has planned for us. That's what He has prepared for us. We can taste and desire and eat and drink fully of God's blessings. And to have true deliverance from gluttony, overeating, sex, tobacco, liquor, drugs, what's your pleasure? Realize, number one, that it's humanly impossible. John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, 
You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now I know of folks that have gotten over a lot of things and they didn't have God and they didn't have Jesus in their life. But it wasn't near as worth it to get over some of those things with, with Jesus in my life. It was worth it then. It really was. And we've got to recognize idolatry in our lives. Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. It's the Lord that we must delight ourselves in. If we're delighting ourselves in anything else more than God, it's become idolatry. No matter what it is, it's gluttonous. It's a gluttonous way of life. And make honesty the motive. Proverbs 28, verse 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So if we try to hide this sin, everybody else can see it, right? But we try to hide it, and we try to put it on the back burner. We try to say that we don't have a problem with this. I tell you, every time I've gotten some sin and I've brought it to the surface in my life, I've taken the power away from it. I promise you it works. So make sure that you cry out. Psalm 34, verse 2, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Wouldn't you like to have that for your life? If you're having a problem with some form of gluttony, with some some sin in your life, wouldn't you like to cry out to God and have Him look at you and you not be ashamed in looking at Him? Confess. We've got to as Christians. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know, of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 or in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, we don't find gluttony as part of those, that list there. But we do find one special word that we need to combat gluttony and to have a power over gluttony and defeat gluttony. And that's the word self-control. We've got to have self-control. We need uh, desperately to pray for it. We need desperately to work for it. Um, again, it has not been my intention to slam anybody or to make fun of anybody tonight. But I, I know personally how hard it is in one form, two forms, three forms of gluttony. I've overcome two of them. I'm still working on one. But I am working on it. I am trying. And I pray to my God every day and confess my sins to my God when I failed Him. And He hears me. And then the Bible says that if I confess my sin, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Well, I have no doubt that I'll fit in heaven. I have no doubt. Because my God says I will. My God says I will. But maybe you, tonight, you've got a problem. You need help. The best way to get that help is to get it out in the open. Let us know. Let us help you. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. We'd love to. Uh, the elders have provided this particular time uh, for those of you who may have been thinking about being in Jesus Christ. Uh, I tell you this, God hates sin, and those who aren't in Jesus Christ won't go to heaven either. All right? 
So if you're not in Jesus Christ, if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, you need to do that tonight without delay. Come right now. Together we stand and sing.